word supernatural, basically, we're talking about what is beyond or outside of the natural. Hey, this is the Unrefined Podcast. I am Brandon Spain, your host, with co-host Lindsay Waters. Welcome to another episode. On our podcast, a lot of times we we have different guests that push us deeper into Christ, and we want to explore how they get to that place of depth in Christ. And that's part of the whole supernatural purview of our podcast. And so today's guest is a, is a conference speaker, a blogger, and a best-selling author. He helps serious followers of Jesus know their Lord more deeply so they can experience real transformation and make a lasting impact. His blog is regularly ranked in the top five of all Christian blogs on the web, and his podcast, Christ is All, has ranked number one in Canada and number two in the USA on iTunes. It's a great podcast, you guys. His Insurgent podcast features discussions with his conversation partners on the explosive gospel of the kingdom. So today, I'd like to welcome our guest, Frank Viola. How are you doing today, Frank? I'm doing great, and I'm happy to be on your show, man. It's a privilege. Yeah, well, we appreciate it, too. We kind of have a format that's that's we based yeah. off some other podcasts that we listen to and stuff, and and we all, we usually ask our our listeners if they can in a like a five minute or or shorter form if they could tell us um, one of the most uh, supernatural experiences that you've ever had with God because because we're kind of a we're not we're not hyper charismatic but we still believe in the power of the supernaturalness of God and we want to see that to further movements and discipleship and stuff. But we always ask, you know, what is the, the most supernatural experience you've ever had? So could you mm. give us a, is that a hard question? <laughs> so many? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I do want to answer it. it. It makes me a little uncomfortable and I'll tell you why. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm going to, I'll get around to a, an answer. Uh, the first thing I want to say is that the supernatural and the miraculous are not the same. So yes. the word supernatural, basically, we're talking about what is beyond or outside of the natural, n- natural power, natural energy. The miraculous is more dramatic. It's, it's actually the suspending of natural laws. So, for example, um, if you're testifying about Jesus Christ to someone who does not know him, and the words are flowing from your mouth like hot water, uh, you know, uh, cutting like a knife through butter, and you have wisdom that exceeds your own abilities, and the person's heart is opened up and they believe, mm-hmm. that's supernatural. Mm-hmm. But it's not miraculous because no natural law has been suspended, right? Uh, right? On the other hand, if you pray for someone who has been deaf all their lives, and instantly they're healed, they can hear for the first time. That's miraculous because you have natural laws being suspended. So the miraculous right. is always supernatural, but something can be supernatural and not be miraculous. So I would say this in, in answer to your question, and this is why it makes me uncomfortable. 
people um, tend to follow a person who claims to have the miraculous uh, yeah. very often above and beyond following Jesus Christ himself. In other words, Christians tend to elevate the individual who claims or makes claims about the miraculous. And I've watched this happen for four decades. I mean, my my tribe of Christian is the charismatic Christian, all right? That's where I came from. Um, yeah. So, for example, Johnny is preaching somewhere, and he says, Last night an angel came to me while I was sleeping. He sat on my bed, and he told me not to eat pizza before bed. Uh, a large part of the audience hearing Johnny is going to think Johnny is something special. He has some kind of an elite walk. Maybe he glows in the dark at night <laughs> and they'll follow Johnny above Jesus Christ, even though that usually never reaches the conscious level. That's what yeah. ends up happening. And what's interesting, though, is that the Johnnies uh, that I have met throughout my life who are constantly talking about the miraculous, um, by and large, <laughs> do not know the heartbeat of God which is mm. his eternal purpose or the mystery that Paul called it. And the typical Johnny has a very uh, low understanding of the gospel. It's, it's very shallow. It's, it's been in my experience in, in meeting people who, who claim the miraculous often. Uh, and they're being ignorant. They're ignorant of the deeper things of God. So, you know, in my, in my estimation, um, I am very careful not to talk a whole lot about the miraculous uh, in mm -hmm. and through my life because I know what it does. And yeah. so many Christians tend to chase miracles instead of the Lord. And really miracles are designed to get people's attention so that they hear the message. It's the message that's important. And, and that's what a sign is. A sign is not the substance. A sign is to point to the substance. And, and of course, I'm sure, you know, as you know, probably there are false signs and there are signs that are contrived mm -hmm. and, and this is especially true in many parts of the charismatic world. But having mm -hmm. said all of that, um, I'll, I'll, I will answer your question. I, I'm not going to give you the greatest supernatural because that's more of a private thing that mm -hmm. happened okay. to me. But, but I will share one with you that is close to my heart because it involves my mother. And I'm Italian, so we Italian boys, we love our mothers. You know what I mean? We don't want to mm. <laughs> lose them. And mm. um, in May of 2021... My dear mother got very sick and nobody knew what was going on. She had many tests, saw several different doctors, and it was a perplexing mystery. And what happened, the symptoms were she was worn out. She had massive, profound fatigue, and she had a fever that went on for days and days and days. And one day in May of 21, it reached 106 Wow. And my wife told me, my wife's in the medical industry, and she said, you need to take her to the hospital right away. So I checked it again <laughs> before I did that. It was 104, then 105, then 106. I probably checked it four times. Um, and so I, I was getting ready. I put on my jacket. It was cool at, outside, um, as I recall. Well, actually, it couldn't have been. It's May. Um yeah, I put on I, I put on clothes, let's put it that way. I put on a shirt and I was getting ready to take her. And then I just had this impression to read um about the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, uh, when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law in the gospel. So I went upstairs and looked at that in the scripture. I read it, 
and I thought, all right, I'm going to do the same thing. <laughs> so I went downstairs. My mother was staying in our um, guest room, and I laid hands on her, and I prayed the exact prayer that Jesus prayed, which basically was one where he rebuked the fever. Mm-hmm. So I rebuked the fever in the name of Jesus Christ, and then I, I had an impression to wait seven minutes. I don't know why, I just had that impression. So then I checked her her temperature seven minutes. It dropped to 97.8, and I did it again. It was 98.8. I probably checked it five times in a span of uh, an hour, and it never rose beyond normal again. And then wow. we found out, finally, we found out what the problem was. She had uh, been bitten by a tick. And so had that in her system. And uh, she never had a fever again, brother. She she mended. Uh, she was on the rise ever since. And she's perfect now. So uh, that oh, was an awesome. example of, of, of a, you know, I, I would even say miraculous because it's, you know, yeah. that's not natural for a fever to break that fast and that mm-hmm. drastic. And then it never came back. So I thank the Lord for that. And again, I'm, I'm reluctant to share things like this, but it nevertheless, praise his name. Well, I, I totally get it because, I mean, after reading the, the book, the, the 48 Laws of, of Spiritual Power, I totally get where you're coming from with that because of, I'm, I'm like you in the sense, a lot of the book was very, you know, rebuking to me in a good way, in a good way. But but then there was a lot of it. I was like, yeah, 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 I, man, I'm I'm with you. And the celebrityism that which we'll get we'll get into later in the in the in an interview, right? That the miraculous stuff you're talking about, the people that latch onto it, that leads to a lot of the celebrityism, and that to me is one of the banes of the body of Christ. And 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 all the more if 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 someone's performing you know miracles. So I, I totally get what you're where you're coming from, and. Uh, a lot of times when we have some people in programs, we accept any kind of sort of supernatural type thing. And we kind of look at it and not just the miraculous, but also the miraculous as well. But that's a good distinction. I'm going to make that from here on out on my podcast. So thank you. Sure. So um, yeah. I'm well, sorry, Lindsay. No, I was just going to say, you know, we've been talking about your books uh, earlier and, just wondering how many you've written to date and which ones do you think are the, what would you say are the most important? You know, I did a count recently and altogether, uh, and this is beginning when I was uh, starting from the time I was actually published, which is 2005. I did some manuscript, you know, uh, self exploration kind of things before that. But since 2005, um, I have written 34 books. Now, 15 of them are included in my gigantic monstrosity. We call it the Titan, and it's uh, entitled There Must Be More. So there's 15 books in that book alone. But adding them all together, it's 34. And to your question about most important titles, to me, for me, Uh um, and I want to make a comment about uh, something you said there, Brandon, about how like the book was... uh, the new book, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power, was often a rebuke to you in a good way. Just know that everything I wrote in that book was a rebuke to me. <laughs> and so that's where it came out of because I, I had to test it first in my own life. 
and experience what I was talking about before I put it in a book. So, you know, I've been down that road before. That's my journey. And so I'm just paying it forward. But I would say the most important titles to my mind are Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom is the subtitle. And that's a detailed exploration of the uh, earth-shaking, seismic, titanic, life-altering gospel of the kingdom, which, of course, Jesus preached, but also Paul preached and the other apostles preached. And you said you were reading that right now, Brandon, did you? Yeah. Yeah, I love how it's written. I love the bite-sized pieces of it. That, that you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? That's what I think about with that book. So Okay. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's a great compliment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other one is another book you had mentioned earlier uh, when we talked offline, and that's From Eternity to Here. And the message of that book for your listeners is the eternal purpose of God, which is beyond wonder. It's a revelation bathed in golden light. And uh, one person said the book is poetry in motion, which was very mm, interesting I agree. to me. I very much agree, yes. Yep. Uh, it's excellent. And, well, I appreciate that. Uh, God's favorite place on earth. Very dear to my heart. Uh, one of my most sublime works. And interestingly enough, um, more men have written to me, <clears throat> more men have written to me after reading that book saying they wept through it, which I found mm. that fascinating, um, but encouraging. <laughs> so um, there's that. And then a book entitled Jesus Manifesto, which I wrote with my friend Leonard Sweet, which uh, is a cure for JDD, Jesus Deficit Disorder, um, and it exalts Christ and puts him in his place, his rightful place. Uh, and then the one you mentioned earlier, the newest one, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. I really believe that is one of my most important works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the what what one of the books that you were you were talking about the uh, God's favorite place on earth uh, I need to get that and and what struck me with what you just said is one of the biggest burdens on my heart is to see men walk in spirituality to walk with Jesus to walk in intimacy to embrace being a bride and a son mm. a lot of times they they focus on the son part because it's the more masculine and not the bride part but uh but to hear you say that 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 book you know had men in tears that that's that's encouraging to me and it's probably going to be a book i'm going to be giving out to to guys uh lindsay and i both do a lot of discipleship ministry with with men um particularly mm. men coming out of addiction and, and celebrate recovery and mm. and different stuff like that and they won't go to church mm. and, and 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 that's just been not, not that I, I see that as important, but the the traditional pastor will try to force them into church, and then they'll fall away. I see it happen, you know, nine out of ten times, and that's another whole discussion we're not getting into right now. But I, I'm encouraged that that book profoundly affects men like that, and, and I'm gonna check it out. So thanks. All right, wonderful. So, how would you describe? the body of your work when it comes to your books? Well, what's the, the, you know, what's your, I guess your sweet spot? What, what, it, what, what, if you could encapsulate it, what would it be? Yeah. Well, I, I have sought to create a, um, a library 
to craft a library of books that blends together the best of theology, devotional literature, deeper life themes, Jesus studies, historical narrative, and Christian fiction, creating a new genre of Christian literature. And uh, my collection of books, uh, the 34 <laughs> titles up to this point, can be characterized or categorized under the heading Light and Shade. Um, and this is what I mean by that. Light refers to books that contain the element of the sublime. These are devotional, inspiring, and they seek to throw fresh light on Christ and the scriptures. Uh, and so what I try to do in those books, Brandon, is it to turn on the lights in places where no light exists, <laughs> where mm. no light exists. Um, and some mm. examples would be some of the titles we just mentioned God's favorite place on earth, uh, from eternity to here, Jesus manifesto. Uh, mm -hmm. another book, which is the, the other book that goes with God's favorite place on earth, the day I met Jesus. Um, that's another, uh, work of biblical literature. Um, and then we have, um, shade. Now that refers to books that contain a prophetic edge, uh, challenging mm -hmm. the status quo and blazing new frontiers. And so consequently, um, I, I would say some examples in that category would be Insurgents, uh, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power, and, and a few of my older books, Pagan Christianity and Reimagining Church. So another word to describe, I, I guess another way to describe my work is tight but loose, uh, light and shade. Um, and, you know, I, I'm someone who... I'm, I dance on the edges, right? I, my work is really not for people who are in the middle. Um, in the middle, uh, the middle is where the masses are. And what appeals to the masses is the average and the mediocre. Um, yes. The mass market is designed for what's average and safe because the masses are people who seek safety. Uh, but there's no mass market for what I create, which for an author is not great because <laughs> while I have bestsellers, they're not mega bestsellers. Um, but I create work that is remarkable. That's my goal anyway. And remarkable mm -hmm. simply means it's worth making a remark about. Um, remarkable, though, is for a small group of people. And, and in my experience and in my observation, following Jesus Christ is radical. You know, he was an insurgent in the culture. And one of the things that bears the mark of an insurgent is that it doesn't fit into the status quo. It doesn't meet spec. It's not sanctioned by the establishment. It's out on the edges. And while, mm. you know, people who are on the edges, that they're not the masses, um, for better or for worse, uh, these are people who say in their hearts, there has to be more than this. You know, when they look at the landscape of Christianity, that's the question that burns in them. There's got to be more than this. There must be more. And that's the mm -hmm. question that burned in my heart as a young Christian in his 20s. And same it's here. This, yeah, yeah, amen. You, we're on the same page there as we talked about earlier. Uh, but that was the impetus. That's the provocation of everything that I have written. Um, and just to kind of... Uh, by way of confession, I guess, I'm someone who gets bored very easily. And most of what's in contemporary Christianity, to me, right or wrong, it's it's simply a, a large yawn. Um, so uh, 
that that happens to be though one of the secrets to my creativity though because because i get so bored easily i want to do something produce something that's changed my life and that's different it's outside the box but it's inside the box of christian orthodoxy outside the box of what's traditional so anyway yeah i'm i'm basically someone who dances on the edges and that's where the fruit is right on any tree the fruit is found at the ends it's on it's on the edges oh, yeah. and so that's yeah. what i have found so this is all a personal confession i mean you know not everybody resonates with my work certainly the masses of christians do not simply because it's outside the norm nevertheless there is that group of believers who say deep within themselves there has to be more and that's that's what my work seeks to um seeks to speak to well, I, I just think that's following the footsteps of our, our Lord. I mean, he he was definitely out on the fringe, and I think, you know, this is speculation, but he probably wanted more, and want, he definitely wanted his disciples to want more. Yeah. And, uh, and then again, like you said, he, he did, he, his, his meal was not palatable for the masses. I mean, he, he would whittle them down and— and and that's 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 yes we've noticed in discipleship it's it's really counterintuitive and hard to have to like shake your dust off of somebody's feet and say no I'm not pouring in that person anymore they don't want it bad enough right you know right and Christian you know normal Christianity doesn't doesn't promote that and I'm like I'm not wasting my time there's other people out there that do want it yes amen thank you for that that's all, that's encouraging yeah. Well, Frank, what specific burden led you to write for your newest 48 Laws title? 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. Um, the specific burden. Well, let, let me break that question up into two parts. Um, first, here's what's behind my writing of any book, and this includes the new one, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. I see something in the Christian world that begs for an explanation. And so what I do is I investigate it, I experiment with a solution, and then when I find one, by God's grace, if I find one, I write about it. But I test it in my own life first, because I don't want to write anything that's theoretical. Um, I don't Amen. really care for armchair philosophers, <laughs> so I don't want to yeah. be one. Um, but I'm notorious for saying that I write the book that I want to read myself, but I can't find because it doesn't exist. So then I write it. And, Mm. um, to put it in another way, I don't choose to write a book. The book chooses me. The idea arrives and it's so powerful in my own life, but I feel it deserves to be packaged in such a way that it gets under people's skin or even grabs them by the throat and makes a change. And while I have a blog and I have two podcasts, there's nothing that compare that can compare to a book when it comes to making an impact. And yeah. so consequently all of that was true for 48 laws of spiritual power. And my observation, most ministries today uh, lack real power. I'm speaking of the authentic power of God. I'm not talking about mm-hmm. signs and wonders particularly, but the transformative power of the Holy Spirit, the power to reveal and unveil Christ, where people are blown away and their lives are altered by him, that goes beyond the miraculous, but it's certainly supernatural. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. That's that's profound. So the um lead into that, the new the New Testament talks a lot about bearing fruit. So how does God's supernatural power, not miraculous, but supernatural power relate to that fruit bearing? That's a good question. Um in Second Thessalonians, Paul prays for the believers that by God's power, he will bring to fruition every desire for goodness and every deed prompted by faith. That's the NIV. So we have a connection between God's power, by God's power, he will bring to fruition all that is good and all the, uh, the deeds that are prompted by faith. Another translation says that God, by his power, will fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith. So, mm. in short, uh, if we're going to bear fruit, and there's so much in the New Testament about fruit bearing, both yeah. on the positive and the negative, um, we have to tap into God's power. We have to access uh, God's power. Um, now, there's a passage I found recently. I want to read it. It's from Philippians chapter 1, verses 10 to 11 in the J.B. Phillips translation. And it says this, I want you to be able always to recognize the highest and the best. I love that line, the highest and the best. And to live sincere and blameless lives until the day of Jesus Christ. I want to see your lives full of true goodness produced by the power that Jesus Christ gives you to the praise and glory of God, all right? So we have to have God's power to do that which is good, to bear fruit. Uh, the same passage, Philippians 1.11 in the NASB says, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. But I like the way Phillips translates it. Uh, produced by the power that Jesus Christ gives you to his praise and to his glory. Yeah. So it's necessary to bear fruit, <laughs> to put it in a sentence. I mean, that's, that's part of one of the reasons why God created us is to, to bear fruit, you know, for him to enjoy, but also for others. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. Be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that ties into questions of discipleship for sure. And I was wondering if, if you could give us an image or picture of all-encompassing discipleship. Yeah, yeah. Um, big topic, big topic. I, I've written uh, and spoken a great deal on it. Uh, there's a free ebook that your listeners may be interested to access. It's, there's no charge to it. It's called Discipleship in Crisis. And it's at frankviola.org, my blog. And uh, it's one of the things that people get when they subscribe, which is free also. But um, in that book, I, I kind of lay out some of the myths uh, related to discipleship uh, that I believe are, are, are damaging uh, or non-effective. And then I give what I believe to be the critical missing ingredient. And that is... Uh, gentlemen living by the indwelling life of Christ. To me, that's the central theme of New Testament revelation when it comes to the practice of the Christian life. But it's so neglected today. And 
I would say that in my studied judgment, 98% of discipleship teachings and trainings and coaching um, classes and sermons and messages and books neglect that aspect. To live by the indwelling life of Christ, that's what a disciple is, period. End of sentence. Mm. If mm. we live by Christ because he indwells the believer, the true believer has Christ living in them by the Spirit, right? Paul says, not I, but Christ who lives in me. That's the secret to the Christian life right there. And so if one is not learning how to live by Christ, the Christ who indwells them, it never been taught uh, how to access that life so that it is not I, but Christ who lives in me, then you're not going to have discipleship the way you see it in the New Testament. You're going to have something very different. You can slap the word discipleship on it, <laughs> but it's not going to be the real deal. And, and I guess I, I have been stunned by the fact that when I have delivered messages on how to live by the indwelling life of Christ, uh, or just simply the matter of living by Christ who indwells us, you know, Christ in me, I am just stunned to see the reaction of so many Christians, many of them who have been in the faith for a long time, saying, I never heard anything like this before. And yet it's right there in the New Testament, Romans 8, I'll give you an example, the beginning uh, verses there. Um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's the image or the picture, is to live by Christ who indwells us. Yeah, it seems like a lot of the, you were talking about a lot of the 98%, and, and we've been involved and are involved, and, and, and we're trying to, Lindsay and I are trying to put what you're talking about first, the indwelling life of Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory in in our discipleship ultimately but it seems so mechanical and, and it's like there's all these different groups and it, it it there's little difference in what they're doing and what like say Jehovah's Witnesses are doing or, or Amway or or any multi-level marketing and it lacks that what you said earlier that spiritual power yeah you you, you know and and, yeah. and and so yeah I like that image that what comes first is Christ in me and, and and living his life through me. That's awesome. That's right. And when I came to that discovery as a young believer, the question that followed it was how? How do I live by Christ who dwells in me? How do I access that life? How do I uh, find the switch, right, so that it's no longer I but Christ? And that has been an exploration of my own for many, many years. And some of the discoveries I made in that uh, quest, uh, I put them in a course called Living by the Indwelling Life of Christ, which is on my, on my website, the blog. But I, and over 2,000 people have taken it, and it's really helped many. But it, it first began with my own questioning of how, because that's what I want to know. If I learn anything about the Christian life that's new and fresh, and I've always been wired this way. I want it, I want you to give me the how. Don't just tell mm -hmm. me about this wonderful what whatever it is, you know, if it's healing the sick, if it's, you know, encountering Jesus in the scriptures, if it's praying where you really connect with God. I want to know the how. Give me the how. And usually in the Christian world today, and this has been true for a long time, the how mm -hmm. boils down to pray and read your Bible. But yep. pray and read your Bible is really inadequate 
when we get into specific things like how do I live by the indwelling life of Christ? Well, it's more than just pray and read your Bible, right? Uh, right. Show me how to pray in such a way that I access that life. Show me how to read the Bible in a way to where I'm astonished by the Lord and I can tap into his life in me. See, so that's sort of a question that's driven me all my life is the how. Don't just give me the what <laughs> or even the why, but show me how. And of course, you, you're, you've read 48 Laws of Spiritual Power, so you know there's a there's a chapter called it's one of the laws put a handle on it you know show me the yeah. how make it practical yep well and, and and there's a wealth of uh spiritual formation spiritual uh just literature out there from i'm a protestant i came from the anglican tradition and, and i'm charismatic but there's a whole wealth of of church uh, I wouldn't even label it Catholicism, but but mm. of just spirituality that that's there that tells us that how and it's been lost and and I, I, that's what I like a lot of a lot of the deeper life teachers like you and and other guys, uh, Watchman Nee, uh, Devern mm. Fromke, Austin Sparks. Those, we A W Tozer specifically too bring mm. in that you know mm. that 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 lost spirituality that that lost depth. Of of what discipleship really is all about. Yeah, amen. I agree. So we know that no one is perfect except Jesus. So which one of the forty eight laws in this book? And I've I really am anxious to hear this uh, the answer to this question. Which has been the hardest or most difficult for you personally? Mm. Well, gentlemen, I manage by great effort to be less than perfect. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you laughed because that was a joke, kind of. Um, <laughs> discouragement, uh, brothers, would be my kryptonite. Discouragement, mm. very definitely. Mm. Uh, yesterday, I heard a well-known Christian leader say that discouragement is typical and normal and normal in the Christian life. And that's true. Uh, I have found, as I read the New Testament, I see that's the case as well. Uh, Paul battled with it. Um, so while discouragement is part of any ministry, I don't care what ministry you're in, you're going to face discouragement. I think I have a PhD in it, <laughs> personally. <laughs> um, but I've managed to bounce back from it when it's on me. Um, even though, you know, when I get discouraged, it's like seeing an old friend um, I learn how to dance with it because we'll never get rid of it permanently. We can get rid of it in the moment. And so in the book, I have a chapter on discouragement, you know, uh, that's come mm -hmm. out of my own experience. And I give examples, <laughs> real examples of, of some of the things that can discourage us in, in ministry, in the Lord's work, whatever we're doing, uh, for God. Um, and I talk about how to dance with it, uh, and I give a prescription for overcoming it in the moment uh, that has worked for me personally. But yeah, that's the one that I, I guess throughout my life, even until this good day, gentlemen, I have struggled with. Well, do you have any other—I'm uh, going to throw this in here just for the, the, the listeners. Do you have any other resources that you would recommend that deal with this discouragement? Um, any of your other books or or online courses or anything? 
Well, I'll tell you what, one of the books that I wrote a few years ago, I still get responses uh, from people who said it saved their lives. And it's called Hang On, Let Go. And it is a book about how to navigate trials, how to navigate suffering, how to navigate tribulation, how to navigate hard times. And there is an awful lot of encouragement in that book to the Mm. soul who's not only discouraged, but has moved off the cliff into despair, which is worse than discouragement. And uh, so any Christian that's going through a crisis, uh, maybe it's a financial crisis and the sky is falling, or maybe it's a relational crisis and your whole world is falling apart, Uh, or it could be a health crisis. And now you're in the grips of high voltage anxiety. How in the world do you get through it? And so the book's title, Hang On, Let Go, is a recipe. It's super practical. I mean, I have so many practical exercises in that book. Gentlemen, that have come from my own experience when I've gone through the dark night, when I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death myself in all those areas. And so what I did in that book is I tried to put everything that I have learned that's really helped me, you know, get out of the gutter <laughs> and, uh, and find resurrection you know, when you're going through death. And so there's a lot in there uh, about how to overcome discouragement and worse. I wish, Lindsay, I would have had that book about three or four years ago. I I just pulled, yeah, my ground, I called it Groundhog (laughs) Day, uh, Frank. I had a, I was diagnosed with manic depressive disorder and um, it was, it was, I thought I was dying, you know, and, Mm. and nothing in Christianity worked. And then, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the term spiritual bypassing, but a lot of Christians will do spiritual bypassing like, oh, just let, you know, just confess this, the word or just lay hands on your, just speak to that spirit of depression or, you know, any, right. any number of trite things and I'm dying yeah. and none of that's working. So I, I yeah. wish I would have had, I wish I would have had that book about four years ago. Well, it's interesting you say that because, um, what tends to happen, and I even say this in the book, and there's a course that goes with it for people who really want to deep dive and hear a human voice. I have a partner and I, and we do all these lessons piece by piece. We walk you through your trial, you know, your adversity, whatever it is. And what I've discovered is that what's coming out of the Christian world for the most part, and this is exactly why I wrote the book is not helping people when they're walking through the northeast corner of hell. It's just <laughs> not enough to say pray and read your Bible or, oh, oh, don't worry about it, God's in control. All that stuff doesn't help, you know, when you're trying to breathe uh, underwater, right? Uh, you know, you, you're drowning. And so what they do, what many Christians do, is they start looking online and they find all this new age Yep. Um, teaching, which often is very practical. And that's what they're attracted to, yep. the practicals. So what yep. I do in this book is I, I show how you can be just as practical, right? And really find solutions that are going to get you through your trial um, that you can implement into your own life. And it's not based in new age you know, teaching. It's not based on false teaching. It's based in scripture and in spiritual principles that we find in God's Word. And so Hmm. that's why so many people have been helped by it, because, 
you know, on the one hand, the Christian community is not giving, for the most part, practical help. And on the other hand, we don't want to go down the road of the new age people, right? Because right. Th that leads to darkness and it's going to lead you into a, a greater pit in other ways. And uh, Jesus Christ is the answer. The question is, how do I lay hold of him in this problem I'm facing now? And that's what the book sets out to do. And um, I wish I had it throughout the years. I mean, I wrote it, but I wish I had it. And as I say, come back to that point, I write the book that doesn't exist that I try to find. And so eventually <laughs> I came to write it. And so I'm glad it exists now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go back and check it out. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a refreshing conversation about that topic. Just getting away from the, the yeah. pat. That's it. Can answers there. Um, well, to kind of shift the subject to the, the controversial a little, well, in a lot of people's mind anyway, the controversial. You wrote a little book yes. with a Mr. Barna <laughs> some years back. Um, well, pagan Christianity. That was the one of the first things I had ever heard about uh, that you wrote, and I just remember how it's kind of polarizing it was it's been described as a bombshell dropped on the institutional mm -hmm. church playground continues mm -hmm. to resonate with people how many copies uh has it sold so far and i mean just what do you have to say about it well i'm glad you asked me this question because i i probably get mail from that book still even though it was published in 2008 I get mail uh, regularly uh, on it. And I will say a few things. One is Tyndale, the people who published it, Publishing House, is a really classy publisher. Uh, they send me a unique gift every time the book reaches 50,000 increments in sales. When it hit 100,000 copies, they sent me an elegant leather-bound version of the book. And then when it hit 150,000 oh, copies, wow. they sent me a, a decorative plaque. Um, that had the 150 mark with a picture of the book on it. Um, to date, in answer to your question, the book has sold over 187,000 copies. Um, I have to say, I wish, I wish my other books, <laughs> like the most important books you asked me about, I wish they right. sold that many in place of pagan Christianity. And and let me explain why. Um, there are two things I want your listeners to know, and my listeners to know as well, anybody who's listening to this, um, who has read my books, pagan Christianity is not and never was meant to be a standalone work. It was only the first part of a conversation, the deconstructive part. And there are three books that follow pagan Christianity in the series. Reimagining Church is the next one. From Eternity to Here, the one we mentioned, is the third one, and then Finding Organic Church is the fourth one. Now, From Eternity to Here is also a standalone book, but if somebody's going to read Pagan Christianity to really understand the whole argument, they need to read Reimagining Church, From Eternity to Here, and Finding Organic Church. When a person only reads Pagan Christianity, which has been most of the readers of that book, unfortunately, yeah, and yeah, they neglect yeah. the other three books, it's like hanging up the phone after 15 minutes of a two-hour conversation. And the result is that they almost always misinterpret 
or misapply the message. In fact, I cannot think of a single exception to that. The second thing is that pagan Christianity was written to a very narrow audience. It was written exclusively for Jesus followers who were disaffected with the modern way of doing church and wanted to know why. These are people who love the Lord. They hold to the historical tenets of the faith, but they know in their bones that something is wrong with the typical way church is done. So it was written, we wrote it to give those people, that that audience, green light permission that they are not crazy. <laughs> um, and it gives Christians who have left the organized church uh, to meet organically under the headship of Christ, a biblical and a historical right to exist. Now, if I was forced to update it, I would add a comment probably after every 30 pages that this is not a standalone book. This is not a standalone <laughs> book. You know, you must read the sequels to get the whole argument. And uh, you need a wa watermark across it. And also we have a statement in the beginning of the book and at the end, we should have repeated it more. And that is, if you use this book to cause division in your local congregation, we do not stand with you. You're completely mm. misusing. You're misusing yeah. the book. You're distorting the message. Um, but I, you know, the fact of the matter is, um, it's it's been likened to the gateway drug, pagan Christianity, right? Uh, an entrance into <laughs> kind of the the more radical uh, work that I have have done. But I, it bothers me that we've had Catholics who are happy with the Catholic Church read the book, think it's for them, and of course they trash it because it's not for them. It was never written for such people. Um, people who enjoy institutional church Sunday morning services have read the book, and of course they end up trashing it because it's not written for them. You know, that's kind of like saying to a person who um, absolutely despises Indian food, which I would be one of them, and you force me to go ahead and eat in an Indian restaurant and I have to rate it, I'm going to give it a one star. Not because it's bad. <laughs> it's, it's not for me. I hate Indian food, right? Yeah. So I would never give this book or recommend it to a person who loves going to Sunday morning church services. I wouldn't give it to a pastor. It's not written for tra traditional church pastors. And yet those very often are the people who read it, but it's not for them. So I have to say that I hope every Christian on the planet hears this. And uh, if it's for you, you're part of that very, very narrow audience who has either left the institutional form of church. You've not, you've not left the Lord. You love the Lord. In fact, that may be one of the reasons why you have ex exited your uh, uh, modern church experience. But or you're on your way out and you really want to understand why it is deep in your bones you feel like church the way it's done today is not for you or something's wrong with it. The book basically explains that. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I see all the things. I've known people that have, have taken this book and bought it for pastors because they want them to... <sighs> to do it, you know, and, and then the, then the pastor will read it and get up, you know, up, up in their pulpit and debunk it. And, you know, and it, it's it, anyway, it, and it's just completely pulled out of context is, is, is what it boils down to. You know, it's, 
It's a great book if it's used for what it was intended for. Yes. And I would just I would just add a caveat to what you said. They don't debunk it. They try to debunk yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. There it's you never go. Never been debunked. Yes. Yeah. No. Because it's true. Anyway, we won't go there. <laughs> but hey, if remember anybody, that. If anybody's interested, if they go to paganchristianity.org, it's important they put the .org there, paganchristianity.org. They'll see the whole series and they'll see what each book does. But again, if you like Sunday morning church service, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know, lots of, boy, the masses love Sunday morning church services and many of them benefit from it, then don't read this book. It's not for you. Read Insurgents or read From Eternity to Here or read God's Favorite Place Mm -hmm. on Earth or read 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. And one of the things that is troubling to me is that some people have read Pagan Christianity, not the intended audience, but people outside the intended audience, intended audience, and then they won't read anything else I've written, which is kind of silly, but it's unfortunate because so many of these other books have helped pastors and have helped you know Christians who love Sunday morning church services. These other volumes that I've written over the years, they've really helped them in magnificent ways. So. Anyway, that's just me ranting. I'm on a rant. I'll stop. <laughs> that's fine. Just remember this, Lindsay. No curry for Frank, and, and don't get him going on pink in Christianity. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah. In episode 169 of your Christ is All podcast, which is fabulous, by the way, uh, you released an uncut version of your signature, uh, sign- signature conference, uh, Epic Jesus. And in there, you kind of define organic church by getting uh, given a, like a, a stunning presentation of the glories of Christ. Kind of give us a behind the scenes of of that message. Frank, in episode 167 of your Christ is All podcast, you released the uncut version of your signature conference message epic jesus you define an organic church by giving a stunning presentation of what the things we've been talking about the glories of christ give us the behind the scenes of that message if you will i like this question because this is a story that i have not told uh to many people and and now it'll be public but i brought that message in a city that was radioactive uh, I was under incredible pressure at the time. I did not know who was going to be in the audience. I mm. thought that maybe some of my detractors would be there. Uh, but just before I gave that message, I took my iPhone and I watched Reggie Jackson's third home run in the 1977 World Series. And if you know baseball history, he hit three home runs in a row in that series and the Yankees won the whole series, but it was dramatic. And after that conference was over, I felt both tremendous relief and vindication because I had a really tough time (laughs) in that city, which I won't mention in previous years. Uh, Later, I watched an interview where Reggie Jackson said this of the three home runs. He said, quote, I just felt tremendous vindication because I really had a tough time all year long, end of quote. And I can resonate with that because Mm. that message was the analog to that third home run, for me at least. 
And interestingly enough, someone said to me after I delivered that message, and they didn't know anything about, you know, the video I had just watched before I delivered the message. They said, Frank, you hit the ball out of the park tonight. And I thought oh, wow. that was such a blessing. Yeah. And uh, other people responded in ways that was very humbling, you know, jaw dropping, um, great, stunning, um, et cetera. And, and so it, it, all of that really blessed me because of the pressure that I was under. Now, if people want to hear it, they can uh, go to the Christ is All podcast. Christ is All is the name of it. It's on any podcast app. And uh, just look at the one entitled uh, Epic Jesus. And mm. it unveils Jesus Christ in a way. I call it my stairway to heaven message. Uh, mm. People who are familiar <laughs> with stairway to heaven kind of, it, it starts out slow and then it builds and builds and builds into its high fever pitch. And well, this message is sort of structured the same way. Uh, but I, I really hope that people are blown away, touched, blessed. Uh, by hearing about Jesus Christ. Because really, I'm answering the question, what is an organic church? And I get to it at the very end, but they heard an explanation of what it is all throughout the message. Yeah, it's like Jesus is the foundation of it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's Jesus through and through. Yeah, you're right. That's cool. So yeah, that's uh, episode 167. I encourage everybody to listen to it. Check it out about organic church. Um, yeah. you, you've used the terms industrial church and industrial discipleship. What do you mean by those terms, Frank? Well, I've never talked about this before ever. All right. So this is the first time that um, I'll be talking about it publicly. Cool. The, the Christianity we see all around us is a system. And that system is built on mass industrialism. And what industrialism says is, quote, sell it to everyone, do it again and again, the same way you've always done it, <laughs> end of quote. It's basically the principle of the assembly line, which is effective and efficient, but it's mind numbing. And so mm. big box church industrial church, institutional church, operates by the industrial complex. And it asks this question, how can we reach the greatest number of people? How do we get them in the seats? How do we get them committed to tithe? And to put it a different way, the four-letter word that governs the industrial church is more, M-O-R-E. Let's get more in the pews. Let's get more who give money. Let's get more volunteers who are cogs in the wheel and who can be replaced. And the result is average, mediocre. Hmm. And as I've said before, average and mediocre appeals to the masses. The masses, <clears throat> the masses depend on average. And to my mind, at least, <laughs> what's average is boring usually. Yeah, uh, man. By, by contrast, there is an expression of church, and there is an experience of the Christian life and discipleship that pushes the horizons. And mm. that's what my work really seeks to unfold and explore. Um, it's not for the masses. In fact, 
some in the masses hate it because it speaks a very different language and it presents a very different vision. But uh, that's what I would say about industrial church, industrial uh, discipleship. We're talking about the assembly line <laughs> and uh, there's very little that's creative and, and, and in many ways real and authentic that's in it. Well, when you were describing that, I, I don't, don't ask me why the Pink Floyd, the wall came to mind and the kids, you know, in the movie, the kids marching single file into the big wow. meat grinder there. <laughs> you talked about that. It's, I felt like that was a perfect image of that. That's cool. I need to um, pull up the lyrics and read them of that song. Very familiar with it because that was playing yeah. a lot when I was in high school. I watch believe. the video, Frank. That's what, I, yeah, I'd watch the video. Okay. That's okay. So what would you, I want to hone in on this, this question, ask you just a little caveat quick. All right. Industrial church, industrial site discipleship. If you had to rename what your, your descriptive discipleship and descriptive church mm. would mm. be, what would, what would you, what would you call it? Wow. That's a good question. And I have not given a lot of thought to it. I, mean, I know. I put you on the spot. I'm you sorry. Did. Well, I thought the part of the interview for difficult questions was over, and I'm only answering simple <laughs> questions. Uh, yeah. But I guess that's not true. Uh, I think that organic is a great term, although that's been hijacked, unfortunately. Um, yes. You know, but it's 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 the difference between the life uh, of an artist versus the life of the factory and you know the factory is is that which we have the script we have the routine and we all do the same thing and we put out the same product and it looks the same virtually everywhere with some minor differences the artist though is creating something that's unique and it's real and it has the the touch of the divine in it and uh, so, I, you know, that's another term. I don't know if we'd call it artistic discipleship, artistic church, organic church is, is the term that I've used for a long time. I think I want to yeah. come up with something different. But you get the idea that, you know, an artist can't be replaced. Um, I mean, you can if an artist dies, their work dies with them. Right. And so, um, you know, every artist produces something that's unique and distinct. And in the work of God, when a true ecclesia is born, right, it's going to share uh, the same characteristics with many other true organic ecclesias, but it's also going to be distinct. Every single one of them is going to be different. Uh, mm. And it's the same way, you know, well, it's like a, f a fingerprint, you know, <laughs> there's uniqueness in organic expressions of the church and the same way with disciples who are living by the life of Christ. There's going to be similar characteristics. They're going to have the fruits of the Spirit uh, uh, living through them and growing in different measures because we're all on a journey together, but also every Christian is going to be unique in their expression. And in, and in the industrial church, it's all the same. You know, right. the, the services typically, by and large, across the denominations are virtually it's the same structure that came from John Calvin 500 years ago. It's not mm -hmm. much different, mm -hmm. you know, with tweaks here and there. Um, and the way discipleships, uh, excuse me, the way disciples are made 
it's cogs in the wheel. It's the assembly line. It's all the same. And so, you know, that that's a great question. Um, but the terms that come to mind uh, are on the spot are organic and artistic, and I'll have to look for a better term. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I was just, I just wanted to pick your brain with that. You know, it's no kinda... need to apologize. I thought that was a good little riff. Uh, we can also say non-industrial. <laughs> Or, or signature. Yeah, this is this is signature church and signature discipleship. <laughs> you know, it has Jesus' signature on it. Yeah, yeah, that's so. good. Well, Frank, what are some? We talked about church and discipleship. What are some? Maybe some other concerns about the body of Christ that you have. Maybe some things you see Christians. A lot of Christians getting stuck on. Well, I have one that's uh, very uh, concerning to me. Uh, and before I do it, I'm because uh, I'm going to be looking for an analogy. Uh, I don't really follow uh, modern uh, groups and modern bands, meaning over the last two decades, I guess. Most of what I know are from the 90s and the 80s, the 70s and the 60s in terms of... That's us. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's, For the most part. That's both of us. But, yep. you know, to help my analogy resonate with more people, do you, uh, gentlemen, can you give me a popular music band that's been around for the last 20 years? Uh, it would be better for my example. Okay, Coldplay. Coldplay. All right. Yep. And Coldplay is a band. Okay, good. All right, so here's what I will do. Um, my main concern, one of them, all right, I have several, but this is probably the one that I think of the most. And I took dead aim at it in 48 Laws of Spiritual Power, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power, the book. Most people who have ministries today of great impact are monumentally disinterested in co-working with their peers. So they would prefer to be Taylor Swift's or Justin Bieber's or Michael Jackson's or Elvis Presley's rather than a member of Coldplay or the Spice Girls or the Eagles. In other words, they want to be a solo act rather than the member of a band or a team. And I sketch out the reasons why this is so in the book. But God's kingdom advances rapidly, far and wide, when the Lord's servants work together with their peers. And uh, that's just not happening by and large. And I'm hoping that the Lord will use the book to begin to change that. Hmm. I do too. Amen. Uh, Lindsay and I both have lamented we, we, we want to work with the team and, and, and I don't want to be a part of a fivefold team with a title and all this platform kind of stuff. I, I just, you know, I want to be a part of a, the, the movie band of brothers comes into nice into mind. You know, I want to be a part of a band of brothers where yeah. we hurt together. We live together. We love together. Yes. We, you know, that that's, that's, that's my image of church in yes. a lot of ways. So that's right. So what areas of the Western church give you the most hope today? Well, in 2018, I released the 
what I consider to be my landmark book, Insurgents Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. And one of the things that encourages encourages me personally the most is the number of Christians in their 20s, 30s, and early 40s who have joined the insurgents and have formed kingdom cells. It's a concept I unravel in the book. Also, the number of Christians who have joined the Deeper Christian Life Network. This is a network I created, an online network, back in 2015. And we have many, many Christians uh, in that age range, 20s, 30s, 40s, who have joined it. And and it basically um, is a network for Christians who are hungry and thirsty for more. And the content goes way beyond my books. And um, it's really mm. a, a virtual mentoring uh, uh, platform, and uh, I put my best work on it, and we have conversations and Q&A, and it's, it's really rich. So that gives me hope for the future, uh, you know, looking at it from my small part of the world. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm I'm actually uh, trying to talk the the producer of this podcast, which is my wife, uh, into maybe me doing one of your masterminds. I'd I'd love to to dive deeper in, into that. I'm I'm just outside the edge. I'm 48, but I think I still qualify because I'm young at heart. So, oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, in terms of the net, yeah, in terms of the network, we have uh, we have people of all ages. The Deeper Christian Life Network. You know, yeah. ranging from the teens all the way up until the seventies and beyond. Um, but the masterminds, you know, those are usually we have several now masterminds is something a little different. I guess we talk about that later, but yeah. um, we have some tiers. We have some that are for the thirties and then some for forties and beyond. So yeah, you're good. You're good. <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. I know all the music that you're talking about because I'm close to your age probably, but yet at the same yeah. time, I've I've always been the classic, quote, youth minister. I go to a church somewhere, oh, you're with the youth. I'm like, well, <laughs> do, I have a, do I have a target on my head because I know what, you know, fleek means or some of the slang? Anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah Lizzie, Lizzie will have to research it. Well. Frank, you've uh, you've talked a lot about this vision for a ministry dream team. Um, I was wondering if you could maybe give us a little bit about the origin of, of this vision. Well, you know, we're talking about music, right? So this <laughs> yeah, that's, this takes yeah. me back to um, the formation of Led Zeppelin, which you know whether you love them or hate them, uh, music critics say that they are the most influential band, music band that's ever existed, even mm -hmm. up there with the Beatles, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so, but the difference between the Beatles and um, the band Led Zeppelin is that Led Zeppelin was a group of four people who were equally talented in their own gift in their own talents, uh, in their own instruments and music, musical contribution. And so it was a, they call it a super band because you're taking the elements that are the best in every area, whether it's the guitar playing of Jimmy Page or John Bonham's drumming or uh, John Paul Jones' bass playing or, or Robert Plant's vocals, and you're blending it together to create this powerhouse of talent. And so I use that as an analogy you know, of 
a vision that burns in my heart, a dream, and that is for a, a ministry team where peers are firing on all cylinders. Uh, they have a common vision for the gospel of the kingdom and they work together. They, you know, my vision entails a lot. You know, they write books together. They put out articles. They create a website together. They speak in conferences together and uh, they live life together as, as much as they can, even if they're spread out, you know, in different mm. cities, they come together often uh, to pray, to seek the Lord's mind, to strategize. And um, I wrote about it in detail in in an article uh, toward a ministry dream team. It's um, on my blog, frankviola.org, and the forward slash a ministry dream team, or they can just search it in the search window uh, on frankviola.org. And so it's a vision I've had in my heart for a long time. I think the first time I made made the vision public was in 2015. Um, and then again, I wrote an article on it in 2018 to be distributed. But here's the thing, uh, gentlemen, I, I do not feel a liberty in the Lord to do what Jimmy Page did with Led Zeppelin, and that is recruit people to be on this team. Instead, uh, the liberty that I have is to put out the vision, put out the call, and I've done this in that article, and for people who read it and resonate with it to share it with the people who they think would be a good fit. Uh, and I give some criteria on who would be a good fit. Now, I've had people say to me, I think so-and-so, and they give me a name, would be a great uh, fit for this team. But to this day, I've not heard from so-and-so. So I always say, well, share that with <laughs> share that with so-and-so. And, -so. and uh, I would love to to talk to them. So anyway, that's it. Ministry dream team. Hmm. Yeah. I guess immediately just some of the guys you've you've co-authored with come to mind, but I that I, I don't guess that necessarily means they'd be right. your ministry dream team. Right. All right. Well at the at the end of the book, um forty forty eight laws of spiritual power. Uh, you talk about the insurgent experience mastermind. Can you tell us about that and how listeners can learn more about that? Sure. The insurgents experience mastermind or the IXP as the cool kids call it. Uh, it's a year long high level mentoring mastermind experience. And uh, I really try to get to pastors in their 30s and early 40s before they start hemorrhaging and pleading out, uh, which happens to many, many pastors in that age range later on. Um, but also, we have tracks that are for uh, leaders who are older. They don't have to be pastors, but anybody who's in ministry. And it takes them through a journey of a whole year. I work with them online, virtually. Um, and in some of them, we meet in person um, once a year, sometimes more. If I'm on a trip and I'm traveling, I'll invite them. But uh, we did it last year, 2022. I had 11 brothers I was working with, and uh, it was a life-changing experience. We all benefited. Uh, you know, all of us are smarter than any of us. <laughs> and, mm. uh, and that's true in the spiritual realm, too. So when you have a group of people working together at a high level, over a year, 
it's really incredible. But if anybody's interested, uh, they can go to, um, they can just put ministrymind.org, ministrymind, M-I-N-D, all one word, .org, and that will take them to the Insurgents Experience Mastermind page. It explains what it is, and they can apply. And uh, we've already kicked off 2023, so people who are listening to this this year or in years to follow, um, God willing, I'll do it every year, so just apply if, if it strikes a chord in you. So if, if they want it, if they want to do it in 2023, it's, it's already closed up. So they would have to do it for 2024. Yeah, it'll be 2024, but they can apply at any time. At any time. Cool. Cool. All right. Um, so tell us about your two podcasts, you know, what they are, what are they for? What did you see and purpose in them? So the Christ is all podcast has been around since 2008, I believe, or 2009. Um, and that's an eclectic mix of Christ-exalting conference messages that I've delivered over the years, uh, interviews uh, like this one, <laughs> um, first book chapters, monologues, and there's some humorous sketches, which is pure comedy, uh, which is very dear to me personally. Um, mm -hmm. And that's on all podcast apps, the Christ is All podcast. Then there is the Insurgents podcast, which grew out of my signature book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. And I have conversation partners on that uh, podcast. And we discuss all things related to the gospel of the kingdom, uh, to the kingdom of God, including spiritual warfare, the unseen realm, and other things. Right now, we are going through every reference to the kingdom of God in the New Testament in chronological order. And that's been a lot of fun and, and very interesting. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. That's really cool. Well, Frank, uh, this is about, we'll wrap it up here, but I do want to go ahead and, and tell everybody, we're going to put in the show notes all these different websites and different th items that he's talked about that you can access them. But I'm just going to right now give you like the four basic places that you can connect with him frankviola.org which is, is his blog 48laws.com which is based on the book that we've been talking about which is awesome I, I i i mean i can't tell you how i'm not i read a lot of books and this book my wife will vouch it has profoundly changed the way i've looked at some things so it's 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 pretty awesome frankviola.info/ Back, well, backslash podcast backslash and that's the Christ is all podcast and the insurgents.net and that's the insurgents podcast is there anything Frank you want to add into that we're going to put all this in the in the show okay. notes so well I also have a YouTube channel for people who are into uh, YouTube and that's author author is in a writer author Frank org author all one word author frankviola.org and that'll take them to the youtube channel and there's playlists and tons of video um on there and uh, the videos there are not typical because you know you mentioned celebrity in, in the past and i think there's only one video on there that actually has me um you know showing up uh because one of the i made a lot of decisions that i was not going to follow uh, what other authors were doing. And one of them was, you know, if you wanted to see me in, 
if you wanted to see me speaking, you had to come to a live event. I'm not going to put it on uh, YouTube. So <laughs> that was just one yeah. of the small things I decisions I made long ago. Uh, I, I see the wisdom in that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Frank. Uh, I can I can speak for myself. I, I'm truly honored to have you on our podcast. And just to remind all you out there, remain naturally supernatural. Mm, that's good. Thanks for listening and supporting us. 